Hi, I'm Aaron Bali. I'm panicked about missing my kids' growth while I'm starting companies. Hi, I'm Russ Fraden. I'm panicked about doing this recording. Not. Hey, Howard, how are you? Welcome to my show. Well, thank you. Are you, do you have your game face on today? Absolutely. All right. Well, you'll carry me. I, um, I had a late night. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seinfeld is on Netflix. So I thought you maybe were out drinking or something, but you no, don't no, do no. that. No, no, no. I was carbo loading for this podcast today. Um, we've got uh, two legends, quiet legends, I like to call them. I'm a loud uh, wannabe legend. These are quiet legends. And those are the best type. They're not uh, hypesters. They just get shit done. They just continue to work and pile in. And when you read their bios, which uh, I won't read Russ's because he's been on the show and people just have to go back and listen. But when you hear them talk about what they're working on, you will be excited. Right now, they're both working together on a company that Aaron founded and Russ invested in called Carbon Health. Aaron Bali's last company just filed to go public, Udemy. Have you ever heard of Udemy? It's not a sex company, <laughs> Knut. I know you were searching and hoping it was like no. uh, something. No, no, no. It's actually learning. That should interest you from yes, Norway. absolutely. All right. And and Russ was an investor in that and maybe a board member. So we'll, we'll catch up on that as well. That's a quiet period. So we're not going to be able to talk about anything there other than it's a great company. And um want to hear a little bit of the story. But I want to talk about carbon health, America's health, from somebody who actually understands and is trying to fix the system and uh, built a company that's growing super fast. So we want to talk about the healthcare system. So a little background so we don't have to have Aaron gloat and do all this stuff himself because he's not that type of person. But Aaron uh, arrived in Silicon Valley from Turkey in 2010. Can you, you been to Turkey? No, I have not. Yeah. Love the food. But then again, I haven't been there, so I don't know if the turkey food it's that probably I'm more eating there, yes. is is not authentic enough. But some of my favorite food, Turkish food, hoping to relaunch Udemy, his online education company. So Aaron arrived in Silicon Valley from Turkey in 2010, hoping to relaunch Udemy, his online education company. He spent a few years working at the tech startup Speed Date before following through with his original plan after which Udemy went on to be enormously successful, obviously, with the S-1 filing. When his mother became ill and Aaron spent some months accompanying her to the doctors in order to get the right diagnosis and treatment, he had a realization that led him to his true mission. Now, as CEO and founder of Carbon Health, Aaron is leading one of the country's fastest-growing healthcare startups. Its mission is to provide really high-quality healthcare to the entire population with a special focus on underserved demographics. A provider of low-cost health clinics across the country, Carbon Health was also on the front lines when COVID pandemic hit and even understood what was coming long before people in the U.S. did. They pivoted to monitoring patients for COVID, then testing. Ultimately, the company partnered with the city of Los Angeles. And as Aaron recalls, seven days after the original handshake and launch into a scheduling website, we helped launch Dodger Stadium, which was the single largest mass vaccination site in the country. From there, Carbon Health fully reinvented themselves as a full-stack public health company. So there you go. So I want to get them right uh, going. As I said, Russ has been on the show before as an LP and a friend. 
and high energy. And you can go back to listen to that podcast. And he himself has started many companies. So let's dial him up. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Hi, Howard. How are you? I know you're panicked about uh, missing your daughter grow up. But you know what? I'm sure that uh, you're spending plenty of time with her. And on a mission like you're on, as all entrepreneurs, we all have to you know, deal with that, uh, I don't know, what is suffering, guilt, anxiety of not being around. So you moved here in 2010. What's the biggest change that you've seen in the country since moving here from Turkey? So I would say the biggest change I've observed is when in 2010, uh, there were a lot of there was a lot of enthusiasm again for entrepreneurship and starting technology companies. So, if, and if you're in the tech space, you felt like an underdog. And now it feels like tech has kind of dominated a lot of industries. So, um, uh, and the approach has turned into more of like a skeptical approach, which I think is I think some amount of a skepticism is always healthy. But I feel like the the um, in the ten years I've been here. The attitude of the maybe media and the broader politics into tech has changed quite a bit. I like that answer. Where did you guys meet, Russ? Where did you guys first meet? Because you guys have been doing business together a long time. Oh, uh, a long time ago, I was uh, I, I had sold a company I had started and had agreed to go to this thing called the Founders Institute, where you know founders that had been successful in the past would talk about various experiences and different topics to people hoping to start new companies. And I met Aaron and his two co-founders uh, when they were very early days working on Udemy and wound up investing in it back then. And what was it, is it, was it for Russ, because you and I invest together a lot, was it, is it always for you, the founder? I, look, the founder was exciting. Of course, all, all, all of them were, seemed like they were going to be great. And frankly, I had spent a lot of time thinking about the education space and had realized that I didn't have enough of a feel to know what I wanted to do in it. And so I met them at the right time. Uh, and, uh, you know, it seemed like a great idea and obviously worked out really well. But it's not been a straight line. Was it, uh, Aaron, was it like, for you to me, was it, I know the, the background, but did it work right from the beginning? Who were the, who were the first people that really believed in the U.S. in terms of venture capitalists? I mean, Russ and Ke so first of all, it, it took a very long time to get anybody to believe in it. We tried to raise money, I think, two times and failed. And each time we failed, we would just go back to the drawing board, make some more progress. We launched the website, started getting some users. And I think Keith and Russ in the same day independently said yes, and they were the two first two believers in the company. So Russ was technically the first, first money in the company. Um, and then I think over to, then I honestly, our first seed round was Russ and a bunch of his friends, Keith and a bunch of his friends and a couple more investors. And then do you remember when you to me, like when you first finally felt like it's something, do you remember that moment? No, I, I remember there were two moments. One was in 2011 when we launched the first paid course, because when we first started Udemy, when we first started Udemy, I thought we would actually build a platform for people to teach for free. I didn't think about the monetization in the beginning, but later on, uh, we decided to actually charge for the courses. And the first course sold for $30, and I think 60 people bought that course. That was the first moment I felt like, okay, if any single human is paying $30 to learn a skill from online videos in a 
structured course, I felt like there was something. That was, that was the moment I got convinced myself that this is going to work. But then I think the, probably when we hit like a million users and we started growing 20% month or month for a couple of years, that was the time it became obvious to probably more people. Yeah, really exciting. And so, Aaron, the the decision to step out, right? Like I, I read your, and I'll, I'll link to this in the podcast, the decision to step out was in 2014? Yes. And so, so walk us through like the, you, you've got a fast growing company, but another, you know, pain point that you want to solve happens. Like, how did you make that decision to go start Carbon Health? It, it was certainly not an easy decision. Um and I think back in the day, um, as a person who just started a company, I did not really have a lot of business experience. And I thought actually the default plan for a successful company is the engineer founder starts the company, get it to work, and then you hire somebody more experienced to take the company to the next step. So I, I honestly, with my limited knowledge about business and startups, I thought that was what we were supposed to do. Um, and that was probably like a big part of it. And I think it's just since like the expectations have changed, I think there have been a lot of very successful founder CEOs that uh, take the company to multiple stages. So I think probably in 2021, I would not make the same decision. But back in 2014, I thought it was kind of time to like get the grown-ups to run the company. Um, and also like simultaneously, like when by the time that happened, my mom had this issue and I had seen really two things that kind of made me do something in healthcare. One is observing how bad the tooling was for the doctors. It was really all the technology was 15, 20 years behind any other industry. And on the other hand, like in the patient side, I was looking at all this technology enabled healthcare companies. And I was really disappointed that all of them tried to become healthcare providers for Google employees. And I hadn't seen even a single company trying to make healthcare better for the average teacher, average retail employee at Home Depot. So I really just saw like a massive lack of attention on true mass market healthcare accessibility versus everybody was going for like a premium customer segments. So between seeing the big need on the consumer side and also observing that the tools for healthcare providers should be improved by 20 years. Uh, so that's really just got me to uh, start a new company. And so you went to Russ. Russ, what, how do you remember it? Oh, I, I mean, b by this time, Udemy was very successful. So Aaron, I, I assume everyone Aaron met uh, for for Carbon said yes, or at least most of them. And anyone who didn't is kicking themselves. But yeah, but by this point, Aaron actually had a very different idea for the original Carbon that he can tell you about. But he went to, you know, a lot of the people he had met along the way, a lot of the uh, investors in Udemy and a lot of the people that had realized they should have invested in Udemy and, uh, you know, told us about the mission. And I, and back then, I, I just invested in the company. It was, you know, sometime, sometime later that he figured out exactly what the business was going to be. And I wound up joining the board and then really getting involved in the company. So what is the mission today, Aaron? Let's, let's be clear and let's tell people what Carbon Health is. Look, what we're trying to do is design the healthcare experience that we want for ourselves and our families, but use technology so heavily to execute that experience so that it doesn't cost to provide that type of care any more than what healthcare costs today. So essentially, we want to take this really premium healthcare experience we want for ourselves and make it accessible to somebody making minimum wage in this country. 
how do you start? Like, what's the point of entry there? What's the wedge? Like, how do you solve that problem? What was the first idea to get that going? So that, that's really the fun part of honestly starting Carbon Health because like I had no idea how to start right. trying to do what I was wanting to do. So when we first started, I got together a team of an engineer, designer, and a physician. And we sat down, rented an office. And we started, first of all, like playing with different user interfaces and products, like sketches without knowing what the business is. Mm-hmm. Like we had no business model, but ideas. And to really understand how care delivery works, I decided that we had to build an actual primary care clinic. And it was going to be our lab to understand how care delivery works, what the biggest pinch points are, and how we could use technology to improve it. So we started this primary care clinic, and I said, we will just really design the entire thing from the ground up. Because we really understood what the patients would want. Obviously, they want everything to be mobile, sign up on board through the application, book your appointments, get your medical records, get your care plans, pay your bills. Patients want to do all of those from the application. So that part was straightforward. But to figure out the provider side, I not only we did not use any third-party EHRs to run this small clinic, I made it forbidden to even look at any other EHR. Huh. I said, we are going to have our doctors here, our nurses, all of our clinical staff. We talk to our patients. We, we can talk, understand what they're learning. But we really wanted to understand how things should work from the first principles. So, and again, at that moment, we, have no, we had no business model idea. We did not have any insurance contracts, for example. So we couldn't really accept insurance. But the mission was making this accessible to everyone. So accepting insurance was, in my mind, a requirement. So for the first year or so, like we actually were not billing any insurance company. We were practically giving free care, but we did not tell anybody that this was free care. So we acted like we were a normal healthcare provider. And we just really had to put the patient experience first. And that actually did not take long. So very quickly, this mobile first modern patient experience was something that like patients really loved. So that was, that was fast. How did you onboard those first patients? So, so you, I, I totally get what you did. So you were just hacked. You, you were like, they thought they were using their insurance. Yeah. They they paid their deductible or they didn't even do that. Like it was just like a, you you would ask for the credit card, but not charge them. Or, or And how do you get those first people in the door? Because it's all a test. Yeah. So we, we, we acted like we would charge them, but we did not charge them. That, right. that, was, the, that was the reality. So, um, and so initially we got uh, maybe a hundred of our friends and family to become the first pilot customers. Got it. That was nice, but our friends and family wasn't necessarily representing the broader population we wanted to serve. Uh, So they wanted integrations with Apple Watches and Android Watches, and they wanted different type of things. So then I then decided to just really open it up to everybody. So we put up um, ads, uh, pages, and I think like in three or four months after opening to everybody, we, we became the highest rated primary care on Yelp. So wow. very quickly, essentially, we started ranking number one on like primary care search results. Um, that's really how we initially started. And then we really spent a couple of years kind of honing on on the provider platform to make sure providers using, uh, doctors like using our platform. So we really spent like took our time before we started scaling the company. And and by the way, Howard, I, I think that's really a key. You know, a lot's been written about Carbon, and Carbon might be the fastest growing company in the U.S. Or it's certainly on the very short list of the fastest growing companies, but it's working well because 
the entire team spent so long really understanding the problems, right? They, they took a long time to get to the first couple million dollars in revenue and then a very short time to get to many hundreds of millions. No, and that's why I want to spend most of my time. I know it's boring for you, but I, I just think I owe it to, because I do this show for me and a small audience of, you know, six or seven family members. Uh, sorry, I lied about my numbers to get you on the show. <laughs> but so what I care about is, I knew this took time. So I just wanted to go into this because this is not... Absolutely. You know, in your mind, you knew how to build it, but some things just can't be whipped up. Yeah. You know, there was no... Like Uber came because Google Maps existed. Obviously, Carbon Health because of, of mobile and because of the cloud works. But this was not like... Uh, this is like a whole marketplace. First, you got to convince doctors that this is, they're going to get paid because you got to fund this whole thing. And then they got to... Now you got to build one. How many before you knew it would work? Was it just the one that you built that you knew would work? Or did you have to do it in different parts of the country? So so what was next? You get the one that's kind of working, but you still haven't figured out how to get paid yourself, right? Now you got to convince the insurers, which is probably the hardest part of it. Yes. So tell me how that part works. Yeah, honestly, I would say probably the toughest part of the company journey were the time between the first year and the year number four. Okay. So because, look, we put that patients like this mobile first customer experience. And we started building the, the care delivery platform, the EHR for providers, which, which they at least enjoyed a little bit, right? So the thing is the EHR is such a big piece of technology platform. So you cannot just build it in one year. So it really took like four or five years to kind of nail that part. But we had this one clinic. And initially, the business model we had in mind was partnering with existing healthcare providers and really just reinventing the entire technology platform, uh, but not owning the clinics. So we started doing that. And during this process, I met with um, emergency uh, medicine trained physician who owned four small urgent care clinics in, in the Bay Area. Uh-huh. And he and his team were very technology forward. They really paid attention to just customer experience. But they were fairly unique in that perspective. So Caesar saw what we had built in the technology platform, and this was not a full platform. It was really, I would say, the beginnings of a like a full platform. He saw it, and like five minutes after I started doing a demo, he just paused me and he said, "Looking at this platform, I can tell that you guys built a clinic inside your office, because we had understood a lot of problems." that existed that almost no other healthcare like delivery platform was tackling. So even though there were so many like holes in the system, he was like, I love this so much. I'm just going to get all of my clinics to completely transition to this platform. So he made that commitment. And then we took nine more months to really get the platform to be a viable healthcare platform. Because when we had our own clinic, the reality is people liked the experience, but the economics were horrible. Like we would be losing like minus 120% in the clinic EBITDA margins. Okay. So we did not really understand the operations, the supply management and billing. We just really had a good instinct on the customer experience, like the, the technology side. Yep. So I, we worked very closely with the Caesars team, uh, spent like nine months. And after the, at the end of nine months, we were ready to take on their, all of their clinics which we did, and it was two days of chaos where like every employee at Carbon went to another clinic. We were literally fixing bugs real time. Uh, but after two days, it became a decent platform and we were actually reliably running 
a mid-size urgent care group. So we did that, and that was a successful launch uh, with a lot of like really like hard work. And then three months after launch, I was looking at the data. So the two things that were was striking is one, a lot of the reviews about this clinic on Google or Yelp became a lot more about the application. People love the experience. Huh. But more important was, I was looking at the retention charts of their patients. So before we transitioned, we had downloaded three years of visit data uh, from their old system and put it onto our charts. So I had a very good understanding of the patient retention before carbon. And even after three months, the first cohort was behaving so differently. Like essentially, we just somehow made it so that patients were far more likely to come back again to the same clinic. And this was even visible after three months. So when I saw this and I was kind of thinking about really the long-term business model, I just made this decision that if we really wanted to create this most magical customer experience, we just had to tighten both the technology operations and also people culture. Because really what made things work was the deep alignment with workflow, operations, technology, and then also people really wanting to provide very patient-centric healthcare. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the retention chart made me realize that if we just made this type of improvements in the long term, we can make the unit economics of the clinic so much better than it would be without our technology platform. So like it, it just essentially kind of got me convinced that like we should just own all of the clinics and we should really just kind of compete with all the other healthcare providers. Um, so, and then I, I realized a unit economic difference was actually a lot of fun best. So I, like three months after that, you start using our platform, I pitched Caesar the idea to join Carbon Health and we merged the companies and we really became a kind of full stack, very vertically integrated healthcare provider. I was so worried that Caesar was going to get fucked. <laughs> so I'm really happy that Caesar was smart enough to hitch his ride to the software arm of it. Caesar is fantastic. Obviously, but I'm like, Caesar was in the wrong side of the business, but yet you guys were smart enough to marry. So now I want to hear, because I don't know this whole story. So now he runs the clinic side and you run the software side. How does it work now? So their team joined our team. So we became a single team. Yeah, I actually sometimes joke that Caesar was the real visionary uh, because like, he had these clinics that he could sell for, I don't know, like multi-million dollar clinic chain. So he practically invested his entire savings or like his entire net worth into carbon stock by kind of accepting to merge with the company. So, but yeah, they, we took over their team. And in the same time, I started building a really cross-functional executive team we hired an amazing chief operating officer. We had really strong people on the kind of finance, ops, technology, and we just built this larger team. And then we wanted to wait until all the unit economics in the clinic are exactly where we want them to be. So we just took another year to just really build up the team and then get to the right EBITDA margins in the clinics. And the moment that happened, then we kind of switched to this like hyper growth mode. And so I'm just a little upset that Caesar was, uh, Rust wasn't, kind enough to bring Caesar on and, and stole this part of the show for himself. Russ, that's very egotistical. That, that would be a good idea. You should, you should definitely talk Get to him. Get Caesar on the bad phone, God damn it. The, uh, so now you think about scale. Are the clinics called Carbon Health? Like, that's how little I know, because Russ is very um, non-promotional. 
Um, so, so educate now, me Howard, here. You can visit them in Tucson, by the way. I'm in perfect health. And by the you, way, you're in Arizona right now, there, Howard. You there's could. nobody in the country that's willing to take me as a patient based on my medical records. There, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much like, what do you call it? Hypochondriacy and like, uh, no one trusts my records. They're, they're all made. They're all in my head. So, oh, so you have carbon health in Tucson. Yeah, we recently actually bought a small uh, urgent care group there, and then we are going to build like a primary care urgent care services now. So is is urgent care solved the problem of the masses? Like I've never, luckily I would say, or unluckily had to go to an urgent care myself. So is urgent care solve that Home Depot, a teacher problem of yours? Are you still staying true to that? Or how does Carbon Health deal with that today? So yeah, I, I look. I, I think our relationship with this concept of urgent care is is a little bit different than what people usually think. So we we started more and more invested in a lot of urgent acute care type of services in the beginning, and that was very deliberate because if you want to have a fast growing company, you need to be able to acquire customers very fast. And we realized that even though there are more primary care visits in the country, the word urgent care is searched on Google. I think something like fifty times more than primary care. Uh. So we identified that that was actually going to be the best place to really just double down on customer acquisition. So that's that's one thing we liked about starting with the acute forms of care. The other reason is in terms of the physical infrastructure, the clinic setup, the urgent care clinics were closer to what we were looking for because typical primary care clinics tend to be uh, kind of small, not the best physical location. They don't usually have x-rays or labs in it. So really the carbon health vision we had was we don't call it urgent care or primary care. So it's really your kind of medical home. So we want to have a ground floor, high quality retail location where we have primary care providers, urgent care providers, labs, x-rays, ultrasound, EKG. Uh, we have physicians on call. So we have women's health. We have LGBTQ care. So essentially we imagining this new model to of really comprehensive first-line care, mm. whether it's acute or chronic care management. That was the goal. But in terms of the physical space, the urgent care locations are closest to it. That's why essentially uh, when we build clinics, we obviously we build from the ground up the way we want. When we occasionally buy existing physical locations, we tend to buy urgent care because their physical setup is closer to what we are looking for. Beautiful. Totally understand. So, so, so. And then so Howard, to, please. to your other question, Howard, they're, they're all ultimately branded carbon health. Obviously, if it's something we acquire, it might take a couple months. But everything is carbon health, the app, the clinics, everything. And tell me about the, la- if you can, tell me about the last round of finance. So, you, so you're wedging and noodling. And I think you could only get away with this because of Udemy, which is great. It's very hard to do this and get this kind of patience out of investors without having uh, kind of a hit before. And so you take advantage of this in a good way to say, listen, this is going to take a while. Uh, you find the right investors. So when you think there's an opportunity to step on the pedal. Who do you approach? Is that when you go to VCs? Yeah, I mean, Car- Carbon raised a bunch of money, obviously, before its most recent round. So it's fir- Carbon's first growth round, when it just started working, was actually led by Brookfield, uh, which was great. They were very, very helpful because Carbon is a real estate-heavy business. This is not virtual. Huh. And uh, Brookfield was a fantastic. That's super interesting. So how did you know to go to Brookfield? Aaron, how did you know to go to Brookfield? Yeah, that was in 2019. And when I told all the investors that we are going to actually build clinics and own all the clinics, 
uh, universally every single VC hated that. It's amazing. And they would say, Aaron, we had already decided to invest in your company, but then you told us that you are going to actually own brick and mortar clinics, and that's just stupid. So it was hated so broadly, and I realized I had to just go to investors who would have like a broader mindset. And Brookfield had this um, new fund called Brookfield Technology Partners, uh, run by uh, essentially technology investors. And I had heard from another investor, I think Eric from Bupan introduced us. Uh, he said that they're less dogmatic about what to invest in. And I feel like VCs typically have a lot of dogmatic behavior. Yeah. So yeah, we, we pitched the idea to them and they immediately got it. Like the first 10 minutes, they were like, yes, we agree that you cannot really make healthcare experience better if you never touch brick and mortar locations. You have to do it both in person and virtual. So I think they bought into the idea probably before any other investor did. Okay, so, so you solved that problem. And then Howard, as it started working in 2020, when carbon was growing quickly, but still very small, maybe $10 million in revenue, carbon raised some money uh, early in the year from DCVC and then later in the year from Dragoneer, who were you know, traditional, amazing venture investors and have been fantastic. And uh, carbon had a fantastic 2020. And then in 2021, uh, we had looked at going public actually earlier this year and decided that raising a private round and then looking to go public next year made more sense. And so we recently raised $350 million from a, a whole host of traditional public market investors. So some private folks like Homebrew and Lux, and then mostly public market investors like Blackstone, BlackRock, Silver Lake, a treatise, you know, some, some other folks like that. I rarely pull out the applause. That's the second or third time in 170 episodes. So sound effects mean nothing other than the fact that I never used that button. It took Canute a few minutes to find it. So the, I, a standing ovation. Uh, I wanted to know the full story. So I appreciate you telling me. So so now we're now it's a, a little bit more fun. Do you find this is a more fun or do you miss the old part of it, Aaron? I mean, Russ is used to growth. Obviously, you've seen growth. Yep. Which is more fun? I definitely enjoyed this stage because it's so new for me. The company now has um, 2,700 people. I, like that. I mean, anything after now is just like new territory. I have no prior experience in this. And I actually like the approach of more public investors to companies because I feel like they have this like 10, 20-year thinking they're less about short-term numbers and more about long-term secure trends. As I said, I, I, I definitely enjoyed interacting with like the broader public equity holder group because honestly, like the VC world sounds fun, but it's very different behavior than the investors' behavior. That's interesting. I'm on both sides, so I don't know if I agree with you, but that's a great take. My next question then is: so of the 2,700 people. What's the pain point right now through COVID? Because I got I got to touch on COVID here because that was obviously helped growth. But you did some creative hacks. So of the twenty seven hundred people, are, are half doctors or a quarter of them doctors? How many are doctors? So I, I think four hundred of them are clinicians, uh, doctors, nurse practitioners. That, that's four hundred. The clinical teams uh, are around maybe nineteen hundred of that, and I think we have somewhere between seven hundred and eight hundred in the corporate team. Um, and the, the toughest part has been that we 
We were only 250 people in January of 2020. Wow. Going from 250 to 2,700 in, I don't know, like 18 months or so. That That's difficult because, honestly, we did, we did a good job at the recruiting, hiring piece, but building your HR infrastructure, budgeting, finance, like it's just like those infrastructures change, change so much when you grow 10x. So we had to build everything as we are hiring people. And you had to do it during COVID. So Russ, I, I read the tweet storm. When did you join? Because I remember you were looking at a lot of different things. When did you join? Yeah, I, I was on the board of Carbon. And then because I really wasn't particularly active in Dynamic Signal during 2020, because I was the chairman, uh, I, you know, really all I was doing there was helping them sell the company. And so I frankly just wound up with a lot of free time on my hands. And so I wound up spending a lot of time with Aaron, uh, you know, more time than usual as a board member uh, when Carbon was raising the Series C, the Round the Dragon Ear led. And then uh, at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, I was thinking about doing something new. And, you know, I've been chatting with Aaron a ton because we were talking about investment banks and IPO and just you know, I, I wound up a very active board member because I was, A, intrigued by Carbon and B, very bored because my wife and children were all, you know, home doing remote school or my wife was working all the time and I was sitting around doing nothing. Uh, and Carbon was amazing. And uh, Aaron asked if I'd come and, you know, join and help Carbon. And, and uh, so I joined, I don't remember the exact date, but let's say February, uh, you know, February 1st of, uh, of uh, 2021. So it, it actually has not been that long, although we've added 2,000 people during that time. So you had to, and so as vice chair, so what do you, Aaron's strategy, so how do you guys work together day to day? Actually, Russ had joked me, but like, so one note about Russ joining the company is I think I made my, my best hires when I joked that somebody should join me and then they don't take yeah. it as a joke. And then, then I, I realized I can hire them. So <laughs> It's random because I had um, Nat's partner. What having a senior moment, Russ. Zach, Nat, from, Zach. Uh, Zach Weinberg. Yeah. So I had Zach, who's fucking so smart. I had him on my podcast and he was saying, if there's one company I would go work for, it's Carbon. And, you know, I didn't know, it was the first time maybe that I heard Carbon. But when someone as smart as that goes, that's the one company I'd go work for. Because it is a great question. Like people ask me, how, what, you know, what could take you to go work for a company blindly? And I say, well, there's two, maybe Robinhood and AngelList. Um, so it's important when someone like Zach says something like that. And it's the first time I think I had heard the name Carbon Health. So how was Zach involved? Or how did he miss the investment, he said, or something? Actually, Howard, I'm going to tell you two things. N number one, you, you probably don't remember the last part, but uh, so both Nat and Zach are investors in Carbon. They're, uh, they're so fucking wonderful smart. folks and ridiculously yeah. smart healthcare yeah. investors. Yeah. Uh, but I might have told you this. I was skiing before I started at Carbon and before I told anyone I was joining. And I happened to listen to that podcast. And when I heard Zach say that, I called you to say, hey, it's pretty funny, actually. I am joining Carbon. That is, I was driving home and you called me. Now yeah. I remember. And there we go. And no one no one in this whole group has offered me shares. I feel like, <laughs> I'm, uh, I feel like I'm being cut out of something. I feel like Caesar. <laughs> I feel a little bit like Caesar. <laughs> so so Zach, how did you know Zach and Nat to invest, Aaron? How did, how did you come to them? So I, I think uh, Russ introduced us to Zach when we were first doing a seed round. And he's not actually like replied to the email. So he, he, he missed on the initial angel round investment. Yes, that's the story he told. Correct. And so then he came over the top? Yeah, exactly. I, I just like kind of bring it up all the so time. So he came back? 
I think he invested in, in the Series C, so he ends up paying like a 200x multiple for not joining the seed round. Amazing. So, That's what makes those guys so great. They just missed it and still came in at 200 times the amount because they loved it so much. Yeah. This is a great story. Rush told me it was a great story. So now here we are. COVID hits. It's, it's not really a pivot. How do you decide to go pick LA as a place to try something? Tell me this quick story. Yeah, so we started working on COVID like in 2020, like January, because Caesar was very obsessed about the coronavirus pandemic in China. And we have this technology platform where we ask initial questions to our patients before they come in for the visit. So initially, that's mostly for like taking input data before patients come for their visit. So we decided to put up some questions. So like whether they had been to Wuhan, China. And by the way, this is mid-January. And two days after we launched this new COVID-specific risk assessment questions, I got a phone call that two people had fly directly from Wuhan, China to the Bay Area, and they had come to our clinics with respiratory symptoms. So we realized this whole COVID pandemic was not some remote China thing. So we decided that we will just try to do whatever we can do to help fighting the pandemic. And I remember I scheduled this meeting with the executive team. And I had made this list of 12 really crazy ideas just as like conversation starters. I was trying to figure out what we should be doing at Carbon to fight the pandemic. So we did really kind of these big, big ideas like let's get mobile trailers, go from town to town to help test people. And like we had these crazy ideas. And actually what happened is over the last one year, we did almost everything that was in my original list. And then we just made ourselves a name for being this really competent healthcare company that really cares about the community. Essentially, people saw us as an intersection of a company which both cares about it and also is competent to be able to build the right solution. We acquired a lot of super fans in that time frame, and people really appreciated how fast we were able to innovate during the, during the pandemic. Um, and the reason we partnered with LA is because LA, when the vaccination first started, it was the worst, pretty much the worst location in terms of the vaccine operation. I think 250 people were dying per day. It, it was really in like a really tough spot. And it's a sizable city, so the state-based systems that they had acquired before was not really working. They were crashing. So they had a real problematic start to the vaccine distribution. Wow. An incredible story. So so today, let's just talk quickly today and we'll end it. 2,700 employees. How many clinics, Russ? Give me some top-line numbers here of like what where the business is at. Not revenue, but like people, places. I mean, we open two clinics a week, so... We have something, I believe we have 99 as of yesterday, but, you know, by the time you post this, we'll have over 100 locations. You know, we're in a ton of states. We're all over California, Florida, New Jersey, Arizona, New York, and, and just continuing to grow. So we'll, you know, we'll have on the order of, you know, 1,500 locations. Carbon really will be the first nationwide, you know, primary care, urgent care provider. And... How do you, I got a million questions, so I don't know what to, we'll have to do a follow-up, Russ, but because now you got to deal with logistics and supplies, you know, you got to stock these places. So, so it's a whole different business. You're, you're really like a whole, I mean, the logistics of all this. So what is the TAM of this business? Because it's new. We don't know what the TAM is. Is there, how do you, how do you guesstimate and how, and how much does it cost to open a clinic? Oh no, this is, this is the nice thing about healthcare. We, we really, we really do know, right? It's, you know, $6 trillion. Now, not all of that is urgent care or primary care, but 
the very weird thing about healthcare, actually, Howard, if you have a little bit of time, mm-hmm. it's probably useful just to hear Aaron walk through why traditional healthcare is screwy because of the various regional monopolies. And so the, the truth is there's hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars of spend in the categories where carbon is operating, and then trillions of dollars of spend downstream in the categories that carbon is a part of, you know, directing care and impacting mm-hmm. care towards. So, you know, I, I look at this in the cloud computing, fintech world of, you know, there there aren't many spaces where you could truly build a you know, $500 billion company. And I, I, I'm not saying carbon will be that particularly or carbon will be that tomorrow. No, but at least, but, at least you're, at least you're swimming in that ocean. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and one of the things that's, that's cool about carbon, by the way, and then I do think it's useful to talk about kind of why no one else has done this before. But one of the things that's cool about carbon, I'm sure I'll get these numbers slightly wrong, but we have, you know, uh, a, a million patients half of them make under $80,000 a year and half of those make under $40,000 a year. So it, it really is working for, you know, it, it's not it's not a niche group of Americans. It's really working for, you know, quote unquote, average Americans, which is, you know, true to Aaron's original vision. Which is, you know, such a stress point for, for people making under 50 grand a year or 60 grand a year. So so then walk me through the number, like as Russ said, Aaron, walk me through how the how this works, sure. if you don't mind. Yeah, so look, if you look at the, the market, right, so the primary care market broadly is, um, I think, $370 billion, or, or some people like market is more like $500 billion, but somewhere in that range. And, and really, all the other tech-enabled players have gone to either high-end of the market. So that's actually a nice, decent market, but it's really maybe like 15, 20 million people. And there are some companies which go to the high-risk market where they can really only focus on a Medicare kind of high-risk patient populations. And other companies focus on either high-end premium or high-risk is because in those two ends of the spectrum, you get paid the premium for healthcare delivery. Mm-hmm. So if, if you go after high-end market, then the employers are paying a premium. So that actually works for some companies. And when you go to high-risk market, then now the government is paying a premium for primary care services. But for an average, let's say, 40-year-old person working at a retail job, not particularly high-risk, there's no really premium in their care delivery. So you have to be extremely efficient with care delivery, which is really what we have done. We just optimize the efficiency of everything from onboarding, scheduling, payments, billing, so much that we can give them a really decent, really high quality care without having to charge a premium. And what really attracts me about this idea is like the moment you can actually do this, then the market is enormous and it's wildly uncompetitive. There's no other technology company really going after the exact same space. Maybe Walmart Health might be the only other company with going after that same demographic, but they're not particularly technology savvy. I'm surprised they haven't approached you to invest, but they have their own vision. I got to think they've come to you and said, let us put some money in. I mean, we know those folks pretty well, so <laughs> let me put it that way. So, but yeah. large companies like Amazon and Walmart and, I don't know, Google, Apple, like new name it. So when they want to get into healthcare, they will want to target the same market we are targeting, which is a really true mass market healthcare access. Correct. But, but currently, there's really no other player in that mass market. Russ, you wake up as vice chair. What's the biggest stress point? Government? No, no. I mean, look, Aaron, Aaron has heard me say this 1,000 times when we talk to investors. Like, I, I don't know that government's a giant stress point. Carbon Health is providing very high quality health care to Americans at low prices. 
whether you are Ted Cruz or Bernie Sanders, you are in favor of Americans getting good health care at low prices, right? The people the government gets angry at are the people that build regional monopolies and leverage their regional monopolies to extract huge rates, right? I mean, those are the those are the disgusting stories about healthcare in America. We're just not doing that. So, you know, carbon health is fundamentally deflationary. And when you have that, it's hard to imagine. I mean, I, I, obviously, we deal with governments all the time for a whole variety of important and mundane issues, right? Whether it's being a part of new clinical trials or whether it's, you know, regulations around, you know, are we allowed to open a urgent care center in, in this particular location? But governments in general are perfectly happy for there to be as long as we're operating, you know, licensed and legally, this isn't the kind of thing that you can do where you run ahead of the laws, right? We follow all the different laws and New Jersey's laws are different than Alabama's and Florida's and on and on. So I, I don't know the government's an issue. You know, I don't know, Aaron, Aaron, I'm sure will have an answer, but carbon is working because we have a high NPS for our patients and for our providers. And as long as we keep doing that, like I, I view carbon's issues as much more, micro issues, not macro issues, which is if we keep running carbon well, you know, 18 months from today, there'll be 10,000 employees, there'll be 300 locations, we'll have, you know, we we won't have, but we'll be, you know, talking credibly about having a billion dollars in revenue at some point in the near future. And, you know, we'll have, you know, tens of thousands of patients walking into carbon every day. And so I, I, I don't know about you, Aaron, but, you know, to me, the biggest issue are really just the blocking and tackling. It is hard to run a business that scales this quickly, especially with physical locations, right? This isn't cloud services. We don't just, you know, pay AWS more to scale. We're hiring human beings in all of these places. And so, you know, I think it's the recruiting and cultural challenges and the, you know, finance and operations and security and IT scaling issues much more than what's some competitor going to do or what's the government going to do. I think I got to the crux of it here, Russ. Thank you. You know, the ad should say, you know, I, I can see a, a chart of, you know, the rising cost of healthcare. You know, if you were you're saying you you are deflationary uh, bullet in an inflationary world. I mean, that's the story, right? We have this massive inflation in healthcare and education. And on the on the healthcare side, you figured out a way to to bring deflation into the system. Yes. And, and by the way, I think it's kind of important to point out, you know, Aaron, I mean, we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. The interesting thing about healthcare is it's not like the incumbent players are evil. They fundamentally charge too much money mm-hmm. because they have to, because they have a horrible technology and, you know, kind of back office infrastructure. So it's a very boring answer, right? People like there to be villains in these stories, but you know, the people that are operating hospitals in Arizona are not villains. They're fantastic people going to work every day, trying to service their community. And they wind up having to charge very high rates because of a really disgusting morass of technology. Interesting. As you go forward here, Aaron, you know, without COVID, uh, you did some incredible things through COVID. The goal right now is to fundamentally continue to open more real estate, more and and deploy your software and services through that, right? Continue to bring deflation to the system. It is part of the goal. So, like the part of the goal is just scaling, becoming the, a nationwide player, becoming really accessible to majority of the country. But probably where we spend even more time than expansion is um, there is this model of healthcare that we have been calling omni-channel healthcare. I'll, I'll just kind of try to define this. So. 
if you think about even the basic line of primary care, it has been fragmented into 15 different pieces. So now people have their PCP offices, they go to urgent care time to time, they might do some telemedicine, they might have some connected diagnostics, which might have a separate application. There are some other care management services. Look, these things independently exist, but the issue is we put the entire burden on the patient to navigate these different forms of care. So Carbon Health's product vision is really just bringing all different forms of care together and integrated so deeply that you're, you're really kind of minimizing the patient friction. Because if a patient has to go from a telemedicine provider, but then needs a quick lab result, now they have to find another place, get the lab, take the data, pass it back to original provider. It's just a lot of friction. I mean, if you're a very savvy customer, maybe you can do this, but the healthcare is a story of a lot of broken handoffs. Yep. So Carbon Health's omni-channel just bring everything together and remove all the friction from one type of care to another type of care and really kind of follow the patient around. So that's really kind of what we wanted to build. And again, we started from more acute side of the care. And over time, we are getting more and more into the care options. So we now have primary care in majority of our clinics. Uh, we bought two companies, one that's focused on managing high-risk diabetes patients with continuous glucose monitoring sensors. And then we bought another one a couple of days ago, which does uh, stroke and hypertension management. Uh, so... Essentially, we've been investing very heavily into the hardware side because we believe that the magic happens when you deeply integrate software, hardware, and services. That's really that's really the key idea. And if you think about other markets, like Apple's magic is partially because they own the operating system, they own the computer, but they also own the Apple stores. They also open the service layer. Similarly, Tesla really deeply integrate their software, hardware, and the supercharging stations, the Tesla stores. So really, I believe like broadly, deeply integrating software services and hardware is one way of creating true magic. So essentially, nobody has done this in healthcare. So we are trying to become the first company to do it while also scaling to the entire country. So those, those two things are actually happening simultaneously. All right. Well, I love that. I'm going to end it there. So the way I see it as a public company trend follower is, you know, Peloton maybe is the first to do this, to try and do this in fitness. Nike didn't get to the hardware side, unless you count shoes as hardware. Sounds like you're a, you're a Tesla fan, or there's a lot to study there in terms of Tesla, you know, why Elon's at 700 or 800 billion, and Apple at two and a half trillion, and why Peloton has grown so fast. So now I kind of get it. Uh, thanks for taking the time. I think the audience, I think this will be evergreen and I think this is a great story. I'm sure I missed a lot of great questions, so I appreciate your time. What an amazing story, Russ. Thanks for organizing this. Um, jobs, like what's the easiest way if you're, if you're inspired by this to, to reach out? Just Carbon Health's got a, a career board, carbonhealth.com? So it, it says carbonhealth.com slash carriers. We typically have four or 500 jobs at any given time. So definitely looking forward to have more people join our uh, mission. And it's really fun to be working here. All right. Beautiful. Where's the headquarters? In San Francisco? It's currently in San Francisco. But I think the word of the headquarter concept has been changing. Got it. All right, gentlemen. This has been a treat, Russ. Thanks for organizing this, Aaron. Congrats on Udemy. Maybe another story uh, down the road. But I can't wait to check back in on Carbon Health. Uh, and if I can help in any way, just uh, keep me in the loop. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. See you guys.
Canute. Hey, Howard. That was almost maybe the best idea. I mean, that was not easy. Remember the Zach podcast? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How smart he is. I and know, like, right? I mean, wow. Healthcare is the thing. Gary, my partner, has made some incredible healthcare investments, lucky for me. And I don't have the patience. You see patient, patients. I don't have the patience. Do you imagine <laughs> that thing? He's just doing a little lab, giving away medical healthcare for free, and it's turning into a multi-billion dollar thing. It's a miracle. It's so impressive. Yeah, for as bearish as you can get, I got to think that made me about as bullish as I could be because the word deflationary, I think Russ, who's so smart, he hit on it. We, we are talking, when you think what's going to bring down this country, politics for sure, you can't fix it, impossible. But education and healthcare can bring down this country because he even said, even if you say there's no villains, it's just inflationary. There's just too much slippage. And so if you can street level this, Apple level education and quick service and uh, some basic level of care, uh, pretty magical. The McDonald's of, of healthcare, it's possible. So uh, I think we're hearing, even though it's small, probably a multi-billion dollar company, this is very early in carbon health life based on you know having these people involved. Russ, I know, is an incredible operator and hungry as hell. So uh, you are listening to Panic with Friends. Thank goodness there's people like Russ and Aaron out there solving hard problems. A lot of times we just goof around here and talk about the markets, but that I felt was an important story to get out for all the negativity out there. I'm sure the media will take their shots at this because no one likes Apple and Tesla now that they're big, but um, this is incredible. So uh, Panic with Friends, we talked to investors, founders, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, trying to just uh, share ideas, uh, invest for profit and joy. If you like what you hear, Howard Lindzen, search my name, Spotify, Apple, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe and you'll get one of these every week. Thursday, we drop them. Thanks, Knut, and uh, thanks, StockTwits. Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.